0: Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. So, do you have any resolutions? Do you have any things you want to focus on? Any goals? Any of those things? Well, uh, I, I saw a fascinating thing has happened with resolutions. So, year in and year out, losing weight is consistently the top resolution every year. Well, last year, a really interesting thing happened. A newcomer rose to the top. There was a new resolution that really ha- wasn't on on people's radar prior to a year or two ago. And that was be a better person. And I thought that was fascinating. So, so it actually tied this year, lose weight and be a better person. So I don't, I don't know if they're connected or not, but maybe you're just happier if you're losing some weight. And, but, but I thought that was fascinating. I think it's, it's a, a great testament to, to the shifts in our culture that I think collectively we desire that. We desire to be a better person. It's not just about what I look like. I want to change what's inside me also. Well, if that's one of your goals, if one of your goals is to be a better person, I want to help you out with that. I want to help you out by giving you a resolution. I want to propose an idea for you for this new year. Be unoffendable. Imagine that. Be unoffendable. Imagine you unable to be offended by anybody, anything, anything done, unoffendable. It sounds impossible, doesn't it? Let's, let's be honest, okay? It sounds even ridiculous. So that's why I'm calling this series Unoffendable, the ridiculous alternative to our outrage world. Because it feels ridiculous. Well, about a year ago, I ran across this book, and I immediately bought it, simply based on the title, "Unoffendable." I was so struck by that, and and I started reading it, and I was moved from the very first page, literally the very first page. The dedication of the book. I didn't even get to the table of contents. The dedication of the book. Here is what it says. To all those who want grace for themselves, but struggle to extend it to others. Wait, that's everybody. So this series is dedicated to all those who want grace for themselves, but struggle to extend it to others. That's all of us. That's who this series is dedicated to. See, there's no doubt we live in an outrage world. We live in an outrage world. Every day, it seems that somebody is getting upset about something. I think this this was captured really well in one of USA's Today's top 30 editorial cartoons of this past year. And here it is. Outrage. It's one of the few things we still manufacture here in the good old USA. Or there's this meme, which always gets me to laugh. Good morning, America. What are we offended by today? (laughs) Doesn't it seem like that? Literally, every day you pull up any news source and you start reading, somebody is upset with somebody. Every time. But see, it's not just in the news, it's not just celebrities and it's not just other people, it's us. It's in our own homes, it's in our own lives. So what does outrage, what does getting offended look like for you? Well, as I thought about this, I've identified three types of outrage. First, what I'm calling relational outrage. Second, ideological outrage. And third, fake outrage. In other words, this is online outrage. So relational outrage. Relational outrage, this is where, where someone you personally know your spouse, family member, parents, friend, coworker, personally says or does something directed at you that hurts and it bothers you. you. You get your feelings hurt. You get, excuse me, threatened. You get offended. That's relational outrage. Second is ideological outrage. This is when someone says or does something that upsets you, but it's not directed at you. This can be someone you know or someone you don't. This is a friend who posts something crass up on Facebook and it really hurts your feelings, it offends you, but it's not said, he doesn't tag you. They just post it up there. It's Andrew Zimmerman saying something thoughtless and really quite stupid about Asian cuisine in the Midwest. It's it's this, it's not, it's not directed at you, but still that might hurt you, that might offend you. And these ideologicals, fundamentally, you are offended at the idea that was expressed. And now this, and this one, and these usually bother us because they strike at something deep in us, something core in our values or in our identity. That's why these, these idea outrage or ideological outrage bother us so much. And then third, there's fake outrage. So this is when you see something online and you just, you just flame back at them. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. No it's not. Yes it is. No it's not. You suck. Yes it is. Go kill yourself. That is an exact transcript of every online discussion that has ever existed. (laughs) Okay? And if you've ever read a comment section, you know it's true. These are things, honestly, that are just downright silly. I think half of Twitter is just people being annoying and snarky and trying to end up in a BuzzFeed article. Okay? And so these are, the, these are the things that just flame up and they usually die out and pass as quickly as they flame up. These are things, and this isn't real outrage. Okay? It's people being obnoxious, trolling, just trying to mess with people, people hiding behind the anonymity of the internet to say things they would never say in person, and kind of feeding their ego in that way. So uh, that's why I call this fake outrage, not even going to bother with that one. So in this series, we're going to focus primarily on the first and a little bit on the second. And the reason I want to focus on the first, even though our world seems to be filled with ideological outrage, people getting upset over stuff that was not directed at them, okay? but relational outrage, the reason I want to talk a lot about this is this is the one that does the most damage. This is the one that destroys relationships. Our reactions to relational hurts this is the one that destroys marriages, that breaks friendships, that people lose jobs over. This is the one that's most destructive. I have never seen a marriage end over the fact that they cast an Indian woman as as Jasmine in the upcoming live action Aladdin. But the internet's all up a roar about it. Eh, okay. But I've seen plenty of relationships ruined by hurt feelings and vengeful action back over outrage, okay? So whether it's relational, ideological, or just fake outrage, there's one truth, there's one truth about outrage, about being offended. And this is going to undergird this whole series. And it's this. Your level of offendability reveals your level of maturity. How easily you get bothered by stuff and hurt by things and react back and clap back at the person. How easily you get offended reveals your maturity or lack thereof. Your level of offendability reveals your level of maturity. And that's why this matters. Because we do damage to our relationships, to our marriages, to our churches because of our offendability. And we certainly do damage to our witness to those outside the church. So how does all of this connect with spiritual maturity? Well, there's got to be an inverse relationship here. Because Christians are some of the most offendable people on the planet. It's sad to say, but it's true. Survey after survey of people outside the church describe Christians as judgmental, insensitive, critical, even mean-spirited. How did Jesus' followers get this so wrong? There are a few things about Christianity that Christians have gotten so wrong when you compare it to Jesus. Well, I'd like to propose an antidote. I'd like to propose an alternative that is be unoffendable. What if Christians, imagine, what if Christians could be the most refreshingly unoffendable people on the planet? What if we as Christ's representatives could love another person no matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter how they identify, no matter how they align, no matter what their politics are? Imagine if Christians could be the most refreshingly unoffendable people on the planet. That sounds like a pretty good goal in my book. So imagine if we could do that. Imagine if you could love your spouse, your parents, no matter what they say. With good intentions or bad intentions. Imagine if you could forgive as easily as you can get angry. Imagine if holding grudges lasted a minute or two versus days, weeks, months. Imagine the possibility of what it could do with our relationships if we were unoffendable. Well, I... I know it sounds pretty ridiculous. Because, I mean, we don't have to go long in any given day for something to happen that riles us up inside. But it's not impossible. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, by relying on God's power, you can be unoffendable. And it starts with one decision starts with one decision. You choose to be unoffendable. You choose to forfeit your right to get angry at somebody else. You just choose to forfeit it. Now, right now you're probably thinking, (laughs) yeah, right. You don't live with the people I live with. That sounds really easy. Okay, Pastor Greg. you're going to have to work a lot harder to convince me of this. Because this, I am not buying what you're selling so far. Okay? Well, I'll do my part. And I'll let the Holy Spirit take care of convincing you. But this is something I am absolutely convinced. That the church of today needs. Because this has not been a hallmark of the church for a long, long time. But it was a hallmark of Jesus. So today, I want to give you four biblical reasons why you should choose to be unoffendable. And then we'll wrap up with with some some ways you can actually do it. To help you out, we'll wrap up with some ways to do it. Okay? First, the first reason why you should be unoffendable, why you should choose to be unoffendable, is the Bible consistently speaks against human anger. The Bible consistently speaks against human anger. Let me be very clear. Nowhere in Scripture does does God advocate for human anger. Nowhere in Scripture does He ever say it's a good thing when we get angry. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You go to the Old Testament... And story after story, whenever whenever anger enters the story, it always results in departing from God's will. You you move forward. you, You move forward to the book of Proverbs, a book dedicated to wisdom. It is full of admonitions against anger. Jesus, Jesus commanded his disciples to do a lot of things. Never once did he command them to get angry even at injustice. I'm going to talk about that one specifically in a few more weeks, talking about injustices and how how do we respond, what do we do. And then lastly, even Paul. Paul routinely included anger in his list of sins. It is really hard, I would argue impossible, for you to come up with a compelling biblical argument for human anger. Now, Some of you might be thinking, what was it? God got angry at sin. Shouldn't we get angry at sin? Jesus got angry at the Pharisees, people who were keeping others away from God. Shouldn't we get angry like Jesus did? Well, we're not God and we're not Jesus. So I would highly recommend you not trying to do what they did successfully. Because we will do it in failure. And I'm going to talk about that specifically next week as well. We're going to tackle the, the issue of righteous anger. And what is that and how, what does that look like in our lives? Okay? Now, some of you might also be thinking, wait, wait, I thought I've heard before this verse that talks about being angry. Isn't there something about that? Like we should be angry, just not sin? Yeah, Yes and no, but mostly no. So if you're thinking, if that verse has come to your head, what you're thinking about is, is, Uh, Ephesians 4, 26, and 27. Now, let me read this passage to you from the ESV. I normally preach out of the NIV. This one's out of the ESV. Here it is. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, well, there it is. There it is in the Bible. Be angry. So doesn't that give us justification to at times be angry, as long as we don't sin. Well, no. Because there are two problems with the, this understanding of this verse. First, this is a good example of focusing on what the Bible says, but missing what the Bible means. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so the ESV is a fairly literal Translation. And this is literally what the Greek says. It is an imperative that is translated as be angry. But there's a problem. In the certain grammatical structure that this phrase is in, that this sentence, it is not to be interpreted as a command. It's much better like, think of it like a conditional. If you're angry, don't sin. The focus of this passage, and in Greek it's really clear, the focus of this passage is on don't sin, not be angry. And so that, that's why I think something like the, the NIV in this example actually does a better job translating this passage. So that's the first problem. The second problem with, with this understanding of this pa- verse is it's a good example of looking at the verse but ignoring the paragraph. Let me read the whole section to you. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work Forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Does that sound like a person who gets easily offended? Is that, does that paragraph sound like a command to say, be angry, just don't sin? No. In fact, Paul explicitly says, get rid of all anger. An anger response is part of life. But Paul commands, get rid of it. Don't even let the sun go down on it. Get rid of it. Reason number two. Forfeiting anger strikes directly at our pride and selfishness. Forfeiting anger strikes directly at our pride and selfishness. See, um, it could be argued, and I believe accurately... Every sin that the Bible talks about comes down to pride and selfishness. From Adam and Eve to Genesis, in Genesis, to Satan in Revelation, pride and selfishness. We see it all over. It is the root over and over again of sin. And what makes these sins so dangerous is they cut us off from God. Why depend on God when we can do it ourselves? Why trust God's way when we want to do it our way? And it breaks our relationship with God. We turn away from Him and rely on ourselves. And so think about it. Having your feelings hurt, being offended, is almost always a result of being preoccupied with self. Think about it. No one liked my ideas. She was rude to me. No one asked for my opinion. He didn't even thank me. They insulted my identity, my race, my people. Me, 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 me. Pride and selfishness. And if you want to follow Christ, you have to fight Against these sins. Because our fallen human nature will breed pride and selfishness every time. And as a Christian, you have to take active steps against it. And that's what the choosing to be unoffendable does it fights directly at our pride and our selfishness. Third, third reason. Being unoffendable lives out sacrifice and humility. Being unoffendable lives out sacrifice and humility. So when I say choose to be unoffendable, you're forfeiting your right to anger. You're laying down your sword and you're picking up your cross. Two things we see in the Bible. And when we do this, we're making a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. God is pleased by our sacrifice and by our act of humility. And then the other thing is this this choosing to be unoffendable, it forces us not just to think about humility, but to actually be humble. You could be upset, especially when someone, someone in your relationship circles does something to hurt you. You could be upset. Even rightfully so. But choosing to be unoffendable means I am letting go of that. I am sacrificing the way I want to respond. And I am going to act in humility toward them. See, sacrifice is fundamental to the Christian life, it is key. It is easily in the top five of ways to to live out a Christ-like life. Sacrifice. Humility. Jesus talked about it all the time. Over and over again. It was fundamental. And if you ask anybody who has ever heard of the name of Jesus, the word humble will come as a way to describe who this this God-man was. Humble. He said Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last, the servant of all. He said, now that I've washed your feet, you also should wash others. I could go on and on. I found at least six others where where Jesus directly teaches his disciples, his followers, to be humble and sacrifice. Now, how about Paul? Paul was the same over and over again in Ephesians. He says, be humble. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Philippians, classic Philippians 2 chapter. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Again, I could go on and on. Being unoffendable is Christ-like, and it is Christian-like. Getting angry at people, responding in offense, is not Christ-like, and it is not Christian-like. Fourth, this is a big one. This is an important one. You're as guilty as they are. You're as guilty as they are according to the radical teaching of Jesus, every one of us stands as morally guilty as the next person. None of us is a little less guilty than the next person. None of us is a little better than the next person. So whatever anyone has done to you, no matter what anybody has said about you, your people, your values, you are as guilty as they are. I am as guilty as they are. And who are we to decide that they deserve anger, but we don't? What kind of hypocrisy is that? This is essentially, everybody's an idiot but me. That's what this is. Think about it. When you get offended by somebody, you're implicitly saying that your sin is not as bad as theirs. When you get outraged, when you get offended by somebody, you're saying, Their sin is worse. Their sin is bad. My sin's okay. My sin's forgiven. I'm a Christian. I went to church on Sunday. No. When you get offended and you want to retaliate against someone, you're saying they deserve to be condemned for what they just said or what they just did. But I don't. I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Do you see the hypocrisy? That scripture's clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Same book in Romans. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. God has mercy on all of us despite our sin? Why are we, as redeemed, forgiven Christ followers, not to extend mercy to others? So how can we justify getting offended and angry and outraged? We can't. Because we... Are as guilty as they are. So let's let's be honest. Those are pretty compelling biblical reasons. I think you'd, you'd be hard pressed to come up with a biblical argument to counter those four reasons. But it doesn't mean this is easy, it doesn't mean choosing to be offended comes easily. It's difficult. That's why we have to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. Lean away from our own power, because let's face it, we suck. And we're powerless, and we're weaklings, and wimpy, and selfish, and prideful. But God can empower us to choose to be undefendable. So I want, I want to give you some ways, give you some help on how to do this. If, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking. Holy Spirit, I'm open. I'm listening to you. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do this. Now how do I do it? Here's why I want, I want to give you some ways. First, rely on the Holy Spirit's power. We can't do this. We, as fallen human beings, are relentlessly offendable people. But God is not. And he empowers us to not be offendable. So trust the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up. If the Holy Spirit's kind of a new thing for you, you just have to pray, Holy Spirit, empower me. Holy Spirit is God living inside the believer. So if you're a person who has said yes to Jesus Christ, you've agreed to follow Jesus Christ, give your life to him, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that is the the God that will empower you to be unoffendable. Second, pray, pray, pray. And then pray, pray, pray. Because we cannot do this on our own powers. These can be long prayers, short prayers. Prayers. Crying prayers, driving prayers, prayers of hope, prayers of desperation. But pray, because we can't do this on our own power. We don't even want to do this on our own will. And prayer is this way of allowing God to transform us. Third, commit to obedience to Christ. So what are you committed to? What are you committed to, being a Christian or obeying Christ? Some of you, especially if you've been coming back to church, you're like, I'm committed to church, man. This is hard. I I stay out late on Saturdays. Sunday morning is tough. I'm committed to church. That is wonderful. And I am so glad you're here. I want to challenge you to make another commitment. Commit yourself to obeying Christ, not just being Christian. Because when you make the commitment to obey Christ, all of a sudden, you can't hold on to your anger like you used to. You, you, you can't want to get back at people for what they said like you used to. Commit yourself to obeying Christ. Fourth, um, recognize your own sinfulness. Recognize your own sinfulness. You want to know how to extend grace to someone else? Wrap your head around how much grace God has extended to you. Jesus even said it. The one who has been forgiven much loves much. But the problem is we just forget how much we've been forgiven. We just forget how much sin we have had and will have in our lives. And how much God has forgiven that. Because when we really let that sink in, we have no choice but to forgive out of gratitude. Fifth, abandon the excuse, I'm just human. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, talking with someone. Like, they get it. Like, okay, I get that I'm supposed to be like that. But I'm just human. No. You're not. If you are a Christian, you are not just human. You are a redeemed, transformed, supernaturally powered force for good in this world. Thank you. You are not just human. If you are, then you've missed being a Christian. Because you have the Holy Spirit inside you. You have God through prayer who can transform your will. You have the Holy Spirit who can empower you to do things that normal people, people who are just human, can't do. If you are a believer in Christ, you can do that. Because we are not just human. Sixth. Get your focus off yourself. Get your focus off yourself. Every time you get offended by somebody or something, I can promise you, your mind is on you. Your rights, your privileges, your feelings, your opinions, your identity, your race, your family... And fundamental to the Christian life is getting our eyes off ourselves and onto the cross. So you get your focus off yourself. Seven, examine your own feelings. If you get easily offended, if you get easily offended, chances are really high that you've got your own issues to deal with things like pride self-righteousness, insecurity, entitlement. If you get easily offended, relationally or ideologically, and especially online, then we need to sit down. We need to pray for you. But But if you get easily offended, you need to work on your own feelings. Stop worrying about what Hollywood is doing in casting. Stop worrying about what Republicans are saying on Facebook or what Democrats are saying on Facebook. The government's shut down anyway. (laughs) Okay? Examine your own feelings. Because there are some things in you that are hurting you, and they're hurting the ones you love. Eighth see it from another's perspective see it from another's perspective there are always two sides to a story and when we understand another's perspective their history their culture their family their personality things begin to make more sense um, I, I heard from a guy, I mentioned Andrew Zimmerman, and I heard from a guy who, who knew him. He, he owns a restaurant and would see him here locally and would see Andrew Zimmerman quite often. And said, he's a great guy coming into his Asian restaurant. He's a great guy. And it's fascinating how that observation is such in contrast to the single sentence that he's sort of getting flambéed over. See it from another's perspective. I can understand why, and as terrible as this sounds, I can understand why Hollywood casts white people in non-white roles. Because they're a bunch of cowards. And they're so fearful of their bottom line. And Hollywood is about money now. And so they make cowardly, money-driven decisions. So, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's a problem when they cast Scarlett Johansson in Ghost in the Shell. Eh, I can understand it, though. Because they're cowards. And they are so afraid of bombing that they they make bad decisions because of it. So see something from another person's perspective. And it's amazing how it changes how you think and how you see them. So there you have it. How to be unoffendable. And I'm going to post this stuff up on Facebook and up on our website to catch those those eight things again. I'll post this up online. But there you have it, how to be unoffendable. So I want to cast you a vision. I want to cast a vision for River Life Church. Imagine. Imagine if we could be a church that is known to be Christ-loving and completely unoffendable. In every one of your homes, every one of your families, Imagine the peace of God that can come upon you when you are unoffendable. When you don't escalate, when you don't attack back, but when you love and forgive. Imagine what it can do in this church. Pretty much every church conflict that has ever existed began by somebody getting offended. Imagine if we could be unoffended. Christ-loving, truth-preaching, and unoffendable. So that's my dream. That's that's my river life resolution for us. I'd like you to encourage, I want to encourage you to come alongside with me in that. I'm working on it myself. This is something I do pretty well, but I still get set off sometimes. So I'm working on it myself. Will you lean into the Holy Spirit Trust God, obey Christ, and come along with me on this journey of being unoffendable. Let me pray. God, thank you that you love us and you forgive us. Thank you that you don't treat us like we treat others. Your forgiveness is endless. Your love is boundless. And we get to be the beneficiaries of that. So God, forgive us when we turn around and don't extend that same forgiveness and that same love to the people around us. Forgive us of our pride and our selfishness and our outright arrogance to condemn those whom you forgive. God, we are sorry. We're sorry for those times we don't represent you well. We don't bear your image like we should. So thank you, God, thank you that you forgive us. Impress upon us the weight of our sin and how much you truly have forgiven us. Let us never forget what Christ did on the cross and what we did to put him there so God give us power Holy Spirit I pray for myself Lord let me be unoffendable and I pray for all the Christians in here Holy Spirit inside them let them be unoffendable and I pray for those who are not Christians here God draw them to you Give them a taste of what life with you could be. So Lord, I thank you for your love. And I thank you that you love us not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.